0: And good morning, I'm Dave Mitchell, and it's good to be with you again. We have an outline that's available for you in the bulletin. You'll get a whole lot more out of the time together as we allow God's Word to be the instruction. I'm just His mouthpiece communicating what He's already given to us for a couple thousand years later. And uh, I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to look at some of the verses there that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to his really his mentee, this young pastor named Timothy that he was discipling, helping him to grow in his faith and helping the church that he pastored in the city of Ephesus in the country that we call Turkey today, and uh, be a uh, really a vital and vibrant church. And uh, he spends quite a bit of time talking about generosity and stewardship to that congregation. So I invite you to turn there to 1 Timothy chapter 6, as I also turn to it as well, and uh, allow God's Word to be our instruction. Now, my topic or my theme is making generosity easy. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of people don't wanna come to church because it looks like the preachers, all they want is my money. And uh, it really drives a lot of people crazy and so it's irritating. My task this morning is to show how God's Word tells us things that makes generosity actually easy, not something that is difficult and uh, forced upon us, and we need to do this because even as Eric was saying, Christmas is coming, here is the challenge. Here are some recent statistics that I came up with, and uh, generosity can be difficult because if you have little children, here are some facts that are present in some of their lives. Kids have TVs in their rooms. Twenty-six percent of those who are up to age two have a TV already in the room. 71% of children between the ages of 8 and 18 have a TV in their room. Now that may seem like a harmless thing until you realize that advertisers are going to spend $15 billion so that they can convince your children that you're not being a good parent and buying them everything that they think that they need and they want. And so you're, you're working against this, this wave of propaganda uh, that is making your children feel dissatisfied, and they're not doing as well as the little child next door or the kid that's in school. Not only that, but uh, the average American child sees forty thousand commercials a year. That's a whole lot of indoctrination going on, as kids sit there and just see. Just you know, how, I remember watching my girls. I could be talking to them, and they are so zeroed in on Mr. Rogers that there's nothing I would say that could possibly distract them. And you can imagine the commercials being very seductive and making them feel as though they need more things. Generosity can be difficult because kids recognize logos by 18 months, and by the year two of their age, many of them ask for their products by name. And so this is this kind of indoctrination, so it makes generosity gets harder... And especially if you grew up in that generation, you have experienced a lot of these things that social media is forcing upon us, it gets more difficult. Let's turn the corner and try to make it a little bit easier. So that's my task this morning from God's Word. In First Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, we read these verses that God has given to us way back a couple thousand years ago. Paul writes to Timothy as he instructs them and us, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. When accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Here are two points that begins to make generosity easier. It's easier when I understand what God really wants for me to understand about my money. It's not my money; it's His money. There are two very simple points, and they are these: all things are temporary. We should know that. Again, verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of the world. We also read over in Proverbs chapter 23 that you have as the reference there. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. That's not very stable. Let me illustrate Many years ago, uh, we were down a car, and a dear friend gave us a car. It was a Mercedes-Benz. And so I thought I was feeling pretty special to have somebody give me a Mercedes-Benz. It was a free gift. And so it was great. So I'm driving it. The girls are driving it, I think this thing could last hundreds of thousands of miles. And I'm known to keep cars a long time and put a lot of miles on the cars. I thought, like, well, this is just perfect, God. Thank you so much for this wonderful gift. This will be a wonderful, long-standing automobile to support our traveling lives. So we began to drive it. My girls would drive it. And then my, one of my daughters called up say, Dad, the car just stopped on the freeway. I can't get it to start. After a little while, it started up. That began to repeat itself over and over as the car kept stopping unexplainedly. And uh, finally, I took to the Mercedes guys just down this, you know, the, the road here from Santa Ana. And he looked it over and couldn't find a thing wrong with it. It kept on stopping. Finally, he took it back to him and says, maybe we just need a new engine. He says, yeah, I can give you a new engine. That's about four dollars to $5,000. I said, well, I got the car for free, so it's a car for, it cost me 5000 I can I can manage that. So we put a new engine in that car. And we still continued to drive it. And it still continued to stop with no explanation whatsoever. And it continued to stop. And it became a danger for my daughters to be on the 55 freeway and suddenly losing all power. And he could never figure out what was wrong with it. And so finally I took it to a dealership and says, what will you give me for this? And I sold it for pennies on the dollar. And I've come to the conclusion that was the most expensive free car that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and it's a reminder to me that everything is temporary. Don't somehow put your trust in something that won't last will we brought nothing into the world, will take nothing out of the world, and don't depend upon those things that are simply temporary. And so therefore, my lesson is don't invest in what won't last. Generosity gets hard when I invest in things that don't last. It's painful, and I can't ever get that money back. The second thing that Paul talks about here is this. You only really need food and clothing. He says you have, if you have food and covering or clothing, housing, things like that, with these We shall be content. How many of you don't have food and clothing? Therefore, all of us in this room are content, right? If you really begin to really chisel it all the way way down, it's the stuff that I don't need that irritates me the most, like my swimming pool. Nobody needs a swimming pool. That's not part of that verse. But that's the thing that drives me nuts the most at my house. It's the things that we don't need. And uh, there's a fictitious story of a man that went to live in a monastery and a monk came up to him and said, we're so glad to have you here. If there's anything you need, please let us know and we'll teach you how to live without it. (laughs) See, that's the mindset. That's what Paul's talking about here. I need to understand what it is that God's promised to me. And there's so many things we think we need, but that's not what God says. Generosity becomes easy when I recognize that, God, if you've given to me the basic things that you promised, I should be content in that. But I get, I get very uncontentious, if that's a word, because I'm always looking for something more. You now, when our girls, Jessica was like three. I remember going to pick and save. Remember pick and save? Went to pick and save and there she picked up this little package of a comb and a brush. She says, Daddy, Daddy, I want to buy this. I said, why do you want to buy it? And she says, it says right here, I need this toy. <laughs> I thought, she's brilliant. She can read. Uh, it didn't say that, but she has this idea, I need this. And as an adult, uh, I battle that same thing, not in pick and save. My toys are bigger. Uh, Some of you might remember this. Many of you don't. Way back a long time ago, uh, we used to pastor in a church, First Baptist Church of Lodi. Have you heard me talk about Lodi? Uh, And so uh, one of the things that – I I love cars. You know, I talked about the Mercedes. That's great. And so I would talk about this car that's parked on a little used car lot just, just a block away from our church on Cherokee Lane. It's called Jerry's. Jerry's Used Autos. And on Jerry's Used Autos is this little 280 SL Mercedes Benz. I think that's the classiest car that's ever been made. I mean, you're not going to find a lot of today's cars on a used car lot as a classy car anymore. They are all look the alike. But here's this 280 SL. So I would reference it every so often in a message. And what a great little car that is. And so uh, I, I became obnoxious, right, talking about this little car. Well, the day finally came that I was resigning from, Calvary, from First Baptist Church to come down to Calvary. So they did kind of a farewell thing for Joy and me. And Ken Boyd came up. And Ken says, Dave, you know, we, we've heard you talk a lot about that little 280 SL Mercedes Benz right over there in Jerry's lot and still over there. And so we, we love you so much. We appreciate you so much. We, we thought of that car. And we thought about you that we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if that could be something you could have and take with you? So I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, this is a wonderful going away present. So Ken says, yeah, here, here let, me, let me help you out with this. So he, uh, he says, Dave, we'd like to give you a picture of it <laughs> so that you can... Uh... So I have this in my office. I've had this here for, what, 24 years. And so I look at that car, and there in the license plate it says Jerry's of Lodi. And uh, so, well, I, I'm, just, I'm still very touched by the <laughs> generosity of my home church, First Baptist Church, Lodi. It would have just broken down and cost me a whole lot of money at the same place it couldn't fix my other Mercedes. And so it's easy to kind of get into this mode of, I need this. I need this car. I need these things. I need to add on here and constantly be driven by that. So I'm never quite content. And when I get caught up in indebtedness of needing more things, I am not ready to share. Generosity gets harder. So don't invest in what is unimportant. Don't spend a lot of money on those things that are unimportant. And it's priorities of understanding what God has given to us in His Word. I'm not going to get specific as to what is important or unimportant in some of these areas. It's for us to have that discernment. I'm going to give you some very practical things here in a little bit. And so, therefore, generosity is easy when you manage money God's way. When you sort of sort out those things of uh, investing in those things that last, not which are temporary and investing, in those things that are important and not unimportant, when I begin to sort of pare down those things that God has given to me and being content with those basic things that He's promised to me, then I realize that everything else is extra. And, And there's lots of freedom and generosity in the stuff that goes beyond what God has promised of food and covering. Anything beyond that, God says, man, you've got a lot of room to be generous It gets easy when I pare it down as to what I really need. So therefore, then I begin to manage money God's way. What he says here in verses 17 through 19 is this, and let me read the the section. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So let me summarize it in this way. Three things that I see Paul saying there, much more than that, of course, but simplify it with three things. Number one is be humbly dependent on God, not money. Basic stuff. Don't be conceited or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Because these riches are going to come and go. They're going to fly away. Things aren't going to last. Things are just built to break or get old and wear out. And so God says, folks, focus on those things of dependence on God, not the riches. Your hope should rest there. And it's so easy for me to preach that now, but there's always that moment, but, but, but. And yet when I look back in our journey together, just how God has provided, being humbly dependent on God, When Joy and I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, we're just married. We're pulling a trailer with all of our worldly possessions to our little apartment in Dallas, Texas. And it's on the corner of the highest crime rate of the city of Dallas. That's where we lived. Twice I saw men get killed with gunshots outside our apartment. We had a prostitute that would walk up and down in front of our apartment. Joy's dad was aghast that I would take his precious daughter to live in an apartment like that. And she worked at a Christian high school, Trinity Christian Academy. And she was paid so little that they taught us how to get food stamps so that we could have enough to feed ourselves. And I look back to those days, those, that meager income that we had. And ever since then, that was 1977 when we left, and here we are in 12, 2019. 2019. Sorry, 2019. Uh, And I think, God, I've trusted you, I've depended upon you, and you throughout those years have provided. Why would I now turn from you to the uncertainty or the conceitedness of wealth? It's a mindset of being humbly dependent upon God and not my money. When you have that mindset, generosity gets easier. Generosity also gets easier when you trust that God will supply what you need to enjoy. So he says, God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He says, I want you to enjoy these things. I want to supply with you everything that I have, God gave to me, God owns. When my mindset is that I will trust God, that he will supply what I need to enjoy, I walk by faith that way. Let me illustrate it again, a little personal illustration. Here's our two girls when they were little. I love this picture of Jessica, the older one, and Kirstie with their gritted teeth like that. Couldn't you just stare at that all day here today? Just love it. You know, when they were that age, one of the realities that hit me is that they have a birthday every year and it's Christmas every year. So every birthday, I'm going to have to buy them something. And every Christmas, I'm going to have to buy them something. Well, the first year wasn't so bad, but they, then Christmas comes next year. Then it comes next year. And their birthdays are every year. I think to myself, Lord, how many years am I going to have to keep giving to them? This is, this is going to cost me a lot of money. How am I ever going to be able to supply what they need for the next 30, 40? I'm still giving them presents at Christmas, and they're in their 30s now. Lord, I can't afford this. It's overwhelming to me to realize that they're costing me so much they never paid rent. When they were that age, they never paid rent. They never left a tip of the table when Joy and I would feed them. It's just, it's very costly to have kids like that. And they never give back. It's just crazy. Well, think about that. And you see the craziness of what I'm saying? Why, when we had these girls… And I gave to them every year at birthday and at Christmas. And in between, Dad, could you come over here? I, uh, yeah, okay, I'll be there. I don't mind doing that. I don't mind giving to them at birthdays and at Christmases and other events and other times. Why do I, as their dad, not mind giving to them? Because I love them. I love them. Besides my wife, there's no other human being, and no offense to anybody here, besides my wife, there's no other human being that I love more than Jessica and Kirstie. And so when I give to them, and they ask, Dad, could you come over here and fix this? Could you build that? And their birthdays and their Christmas comes rolling around every single year. Every year it's still there. I don't say, oh, oh, I don't, oh, do I have to give them this year? My goodness, all they want is my money. I don't think that because I love them. And you know what God would say? Do you love me? Do you love what I do? I love to give to God's work. I love to give to Calvary Church. I love to give to those things that God is doing in this world today because I love him. I love him. And I love my girls. I love to give to those that I love. And that's what God calls us into. God says, I want generosity to be easy because I want you to think about the fact that I will supply everything you need to enjoy and I enjoy giving to my daughters. We try to be as generous as we possibly can every year because we know that they don't always have as much as maybe we have. And so I love to give to them. I want us to have a mindset of generosity to being easy to God's work because I love God's work. I never want anyone here to be forced to give anything but that it comes out of a heart of love and compassion. Generosity is easy when I give out of a heart that loves the Lord and His work. And that's the kind of attitude Paul is instructing us to have. Then he goes this way. He says in this next point, Pursue good works by faithfully and generously sharing with others for God's kingdom. So where do I give? I give to God's kingdom. I give to those things that count forever. I give to those things that last forever. That's why Paul says this. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share. Indebtedness prevents readiness to share. Be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation... For the future. So I give to those things as a foundation for the future. That is, that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I want to give to those things that last forever. I want to give to those things that God's kingdom is emphasizing. I don't want to give to what is temporary and will break and wear out. I don't want to give to what is unimportant and insignificant over the course of time. I want to give to those things that will last forever. And the word for generous is a term that means to give well. Give well. Literally, that word means to generally give well in the Greek language. So, give well. So, I want to invest not in what is temporary. I want to invest not in what is unimportant. That's hard. I want to invest in God's eternal purposes. That's easy. Let me illustrate again. My good friend Dennis Griffin, sitting right down here in the third row, fourth row, he always sits there the same. He's given me permission to share this with him, with you. Dennis has a heart of generosity. A number of years ago, Dennis went down First Street, and some of our guys were doing some work in a motel that's there on 1st Street. So they started working and doing their thing there. Guy comes out of one of the rooms and says, What are you guys doing here? He said, Well, we're working to help improve some areas around the motel. He says, Oh, how much does that pay? He said, Well, we're just volunteering. Oh. And that struck up a conversation. That young man's name was Aaron. Now Aaron was a little bit off-putting because if you looked at him, he had tattoos all over his neck. Some of them were swastikas. Some of them were Nazi SS. And he had a big eagle thing on his chest with a big swastika. And so that's a little concerning. But Dennis persisted in loving him. And Aaron didn't have enough for his motel room So Dennis began to generously give to pay for that motel room and struck up a friendship with him. So Dennis invited him to come to Calvary Church right here. And finally he came and he sat in the back row. And I was preaching that Sunday morning. And that Sunday morning I had to be preaching for, I can't remember what the message was, but I was preaching about the good angel and the bad angel. I had an image of a good angel on one shoulder and the bad angel, a demon on the other shoulder. the stereotypical thing, right? And when I presented the bad angel, Aaron stood up and did a high Hitler salute to the bad angel. That's not exactly the response I was going for. (laughs) But that's what he did. That's where his heart was at. Dennis persisted in loving this man and providing for him and helping him. So much so that God began to change his heart. So much so that he went to our baptism class. And has committed his life to Christ so much so that I baptized him at Corona del Mar that summer as he surrendered to Jesus. So Aaron began to hang around here, and Aaron is one of the guys that helped build these nurseries on either side of us. So he was here every day working hard. I was just talking to Dennis this morning again. Last heard we heard is that Aaron has moved up to La Mirada and is continuing on and attending a church up in that area. When you give for God's eternal purposes and invest in those things that count and last forever, generosity gets easy because you see a reward. Not always, but many times there's a reward like an Aaron who has been blessed by the generosity of a saint. Dennis has a heart for the homeless population for these who have reached the bottom economic, social rung of life. And Dennis gives cash to these people, but it's packaged in one of our little tracts that we have right there. He always includes a tract. He says, if you don't need it, give it to someone else who does. So the gospel goes out, and it's for eternal purposes. Generosity on those terms is easy. I invite you into it if you're not already part of it. Let me wrap up by giving you a little checklist. The bottom of the outline that I've got some questions here. Questions to answer to help you manage your money well. Do you have a strategic giving plan to consistently support God's ministry? Is there a strategic plan in your mind that you are exercising on a regular basis? This comes out of 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints as i directed the churches of galatia so do you also here's how i want you to give paul says and what he says is this he says on the first day of every week each of you is to put aside and save as, me, as he may prosper so that no collections will be made when i come paul is encouraging them to have a significant strategic giving plan put aside and save don't make it a last minute impromptu giving act. Have it something that you have set aside, that you purposefully have designed it for this specific time. It doesn't have to be every week, but it has to be on a consistent basis. God says that's part of stewardship, the way I instruct people to give. Secondly, is your giving based on a promised commitment to God's work? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. I've made a commitment. This is what I'm going to give. This is how it's going to work, so I will give. And he gives a reason for that so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Paul says, I don't want to wait until I get there and harangue you and guilt you and shame you into giving things that you weren't ready and you weren't willing, and it becomes a big attitude problem. The word covetousness it literally means to have more. Just says, I don't want to come and sort of shame you, and I don't want this message to shame anybody to give more. I'm encouraging you to give generously based upon a significant strategic plan that is a promised commitment that you give to God on a regular basis, not somehow because you feel moved in the moment. And we're not talking about how much to give. We're just simply saying to make it part of the way that you strategically give. Also, he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. What has God given to me? Joy and I have purposed in our hearts to give X amount every month. To the general fund, to the missions funds, to ENF, and then anything above that, like an auction last night for our school, God bless those who have taken part in that, Becky and Nicole and Leah and others, wonderful experience, then that's an offering that goes above that. Because God says, I want you to give as God has purposed it in your heart. Also, we see this as your priority to fully supply the needs of the saints. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 9, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. When I give, I love to supply what is needed for the saints. Our missionaries, we've got a couple here, we've got others who have come in through as well. I want to give to those things that that is helping to build God's kingdom in this world and for the next. Generosity is easy when we give this way. We also see, are you giving thanks to God for your gifts and is the gospel being spread? I love this. 2 Corinthians nine thirteen. because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. I love to give... To those things, those ministries, those people that have the gospel of Christ as a cornerstone of what they're all about. It can be manifested in a variety of ways, but the cornerstone is the gospel of Christ is what changes people's lives. I don't want to make someone more comfortable who doesn't have the gospel for eternal living in heaven. Not just to make them comfortable in this world and then to be lost to hell after that. Well, what's the point of that? I love that the gospel of Christ is the good news and that we help people find their way to God in heaven. Then finally, do you have a plan to eliminate debt that prevents you from being ready to share? Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. We need to get out of the enslavement of indebtedness because, as Paul says, I want you to be generous and ready to share, and I cannot be ready to share if my indebtedness is so high. These are very practical ways that God's Word, not me, God's Word teaches us so that we can be generous and frankly, find it easy. Sacrificial, but easy. We invite you into that world and I want to just draw your attention to the back of the outline. There are seven steps that we make available and we have classes to help train in this so that you're not encumbered by indebtedness and that you don't live by a guilt-shame-giving operation. I don't want that. I want you to give out of those things that you love because you love to give that way. And it's generous and it's honoring to God and it's changing lives forever. It's a kingdom-giving that God invites us into. So we encourage you to consider that. If you're not part of something of what we're just talking about right now, what I'm saying, then we invite you into that new world. If you're already there, I say, God bless you. Let God prosper what you do and think, Lord, how can I do more for your sake? Lead me in that, Lord, because I love to give to those things that you are all involved with. Let me pray for us And after I pray, we have the communion table on either side. The table represents the blood and the body of Jesus. There's no one more generous as an example of generous giving than the life of Christ. As he sacrificed everything, he gave everything so that we could have a relationship with the Holy God. So take part in the cup and the bread as it symbolizes that great sacrifice and celebration of life in Christ. We have prayer points on either side. And we'd love to encourage you to live this kind of life of generosity that gets easier as you focus on those biblical principles that guide you. Let me pray for us. Help us, Lord, as we now look to you in response in a time of worship, a time of reflection, a time of communion, to remember the great generous gift of Jesus. Lord, we know that it was hard for him, and yet... He never lost the vision of why he was doing what he was doing. It's so that we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, sometimes it may be hard for us to give, but may we always have that same vision of what it's doing for your kingdom, for the greater good of all that you're involved with. And that, God, we would be partners with you as good stewards with a very strategic, purposeful, well-planned giving pattern so that, Lord, we're supporting you faithfully, consistently. God, is, guide us in this, Lord. We thank you for your generous work in our lives. May we respond in love to you as we pray this now in Jesus' name.